I'm very excited that we're going to be beginning our Gospel of John series. I haven't been this excited since our first Sunday here, well, when we became pastors of this church. I know that this is a series that I've always wanted to do, that God has called me to do, and that God wants me to bring to you to encourage you in your faith and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. But before we get into the scripture today, I want to introduce you to John, the author of this gospel. If you've been around the Bible, been around church for any a length of time, you know that there are four Gospels in the Bible. There is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels. The word synoptic means similar or it means a summary. Matthew, Mark, and Luke um, are called the Synoptic Gospels because they, say, they contain the same general outline, the same general details, and the same um, timeline over 65% of their times that lists the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see many of the same um, things within those different Gospels. However, the Gospel of John uh, deviates significantly from the other three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written between 41 and 69 A.D., about 20 years at, or, uh, 10 to 20 years after Jesus died. John, however, came much later, probably around 80 or 90 A.D. It's without a doubt in my mind that John read much of the, many of the other gospel writers' uh, messages. And as Jesus' closest friend on earth, he decided to give the closest eyewitness account of any of the gospels' writers um, and write everything that he saw his best friend do and say. Now Matthew and Mark, they saw some of Jesus' ministry. Luke probably got his information from uh, Mark, Peter, and Paul, but John lived it. He's the one that saw it the most closely on earth. He's the closest eyewitness to the life, the words, the personality, and the mission that Jesus had more than anyone else in all of the bi biblical history. John most likely knew Jesus growing up. He was the closest to him during his ministry. He was part of the inner circle of disciples um, with his brother James and with Peter. And he was the only one that was a direct eyewitness to the entire passion of Jesus. That time that Jesus was taken captive by the Roman and the, and the Jewish authorities, where he went through his time of being beaten and flogged and everything else and then nailed to the cross, John was an eyewitness to that entire time. He was the only one that stayed with Jesus. He was so close to Jesus that Jesus didn't call upon his family to take care of his mother. He didn't call upon his brothers and sisters to come and, and make sure that Mary was taken care of. He called upon his best friend and said, take care of my mother. That's quite a resume, isn't it? That's quite a, an example of a person that really can tell us a lot about our Lord Jesus. Martin Luther, in fact, said that this gospel is so important that if some world leader decreed that all the known copies of the Bible were to be burned, if the church could somehow just save the gospel of John and the book of Romans, the entire gospel and essence of Christianity would be saved by these two books alone. That's, that's incredible when we think about it. 
That's why I'm so excited to begin this study of John's Gospel, because I know it can change our lives. I know it's going to increase our faith, and I know it's going to bring us to the subject of this book, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's dig in. We're going to get into John chapter 1 in just a moment, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, but allow me to set the stage and, and illustrate the subject of the first few verses of John's Gospel here. When I was a kid, we lived in Kenosha. And my Aunt Mary would often bring me from Kenosha to Hayward to see my grandparents. This was back in the late 70s, early 80s. What was now a five and a half to six hour drive from Kenosha to Hayward took over eight hours back then. That's because Highway 53 between Eau Claire and Spooner was a dark, narrow, tree-lined, curvy road. I drove up there with her, and once we passed Eau Claire, I had to put down my book and help her watch the sides of the road. In many places on Highway 53 in those days, the tree line came right up to the road. So we had to be on the lookout because we would never get there before dark. We'd have to be on the lookout. She'd look left, I'd look right, and we'd be looking for those two little reflections that would indicate a deer. And one of us would yell deer and she'd slam on the brakes or swerve and she'd only have just a, a second or two to respond. Otherwise, you could wreck and wrecking up there at that time meant either you're waiting for somebody to come along and, and help you or you have a very long walk toward a farm um, to make a phone call to say that we needed help. We didn't have no cell phones back then. What I learned from that is that we were completely dependent on our headlights shining in front of us to keep us safe during our travels. And John starts his gospel telling us of the time when God sent his own light into our world. You see, God knows that our journey on this earth is dark. He knows that there are forces hiding in the tree lines ready to jump out and wreck our lives. So God has given us a light to guide our way. And his name is Jesus. And today we're going to start our study of the Gospel of John with the first chapters. If you turn there in your Bible or flip your bulletin over, you can follow us with the reading. And this is going to be John chapter 1, 1 through 5 in the ESV, the English Standard Version. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without them was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. And Father God, as we begin our study of the Gospel of John, I ask, Lord, that the light of the world that you have sent into the world to guide us will illuminate our spirits once again that it will fill our hearts, it will fill our minds, it will drive back the darkness that is always trying to sneak its way in. So that when we stand before this world, all anyone can see is the light of Jesus shining from us. And Father, I ask this in your name. Amen. John begins his gospel by establishing a few critical points for us to understand. These are the must-knows and the basis of who Jesus is that is going to help you comprehend and understand the rest of the Gospel of Count. And the first thing he wants you to understand is Jesus' relationship with the Father. 
John starts by telling us exactly who he is talking about. From Genesis 1-1, when God creates the heaven and the earth, to Genesis 22-21, when God brings everything to perfection, this book is talking about one person. And that person is Jesus. You see him everywhere in the Bible. You see him through God's dealings with humanity in the Old Testament. You see his worship in the Psalms. You see his earthly ministry in the prophetic books. You get to see his life in the Gospels. You get to see him change life in Acts. You get to see his doctrine in the epistles. And we see his and our future in the book of Revelation. Jesus is seen and spoken everywhere in the Bible. Even when you don't see him directly, his fingerprints and his presence are all over the biblical accounts. And that's why John is very deliberate in how he starts his gospel. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. John begins his gospel the same way the Old Testament begins, in the beginning. But where 4,000 years of salvation history failed to bring humanity back to the Father God in the Old Testament, Jesus hits the reset button in the New Testament. But it wasn't as if Jesus told God the Father, hey, Dad, look, you've had 4,000 years. You just need to take a back seat and let me handle it. It isn't, it isn't like that at all. John is telling us that Jesus is fulfilling a plan that the triune God had decreed before the Father said, let there be light. John 13, 9 tells us that, that the Lamb of God was slain from the creation of the world. However, if you ask most people, they look at the Old Testament and they choose to see God as the atheist Richard Dawkins does. Many people see the God of the Old Testament like he wrote in his book, The God Delusion. He wrote that the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Well, that was his first mistake. He calls it fiction. He said that God is jealous and proud of it. He's petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynist, homophobic, racist, infocidal, genocidal, philocidal, pessimistical, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. And I'll save you from looking up all those big words. It just means that he sees God as bad. And Richard Dawkins comes up with this idea because he fails to understand these first few verses of John's Gospel of telling exactly who the God of the Old Testament was. And that God of the Old Testament is Jesus. And just like Richard Dawkins and other atheists who tried to read the Bible through their own sense of, of morality or, or science or, or anything like that, the rest of the world often sees our God as this being that just wants to repress our basic human desires for happiness and pleasure instead of understanding that God, our Father, is just that. He's a father. He's a father that's put up protective boundaries for his children so they don't fall off the cliffs of sin and destruction. And the same author of this gospel also wrote additional letters telling us who Jesus is and explaining to us what his mission was. And in one of them, he says this, that which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled, of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness to show unto you that eternal life that was with the Father was manifested unto us. What's John saying here? He's saying that Jesus is the exact representation of who God the Father is. Hebrew 1.3 sums it up when it says that the Son is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of His nature, holding up all things by His powerful Word. In other words, what it's saying is Jesus is the answer to every question about God. Jesus is the answer to every problem that we can face. Jesus is the answer to every difficulty in life. And Jesus is the answer for the evil that we see in this world. And John unequivocally says that Jesus is the answer, period. The second point that John wants us to understand about Jesus is that Jesus is our creator. John 1.3 says that all things were made by him. Without him not, was not anything made that was made. And it kind of disturbs me when people relegate Jesus to a position lower than that of God. You ever heard people say, well, Jesus is just my buddy. I go to him when I need something. Or people use his name as a curse, and that bothers me also. But my opinion, what is even worse than using his name as an expression is lowering him to anything other than God. And Jesus is our friend. It is correct to call Jesus our friend. But we have to be careful not to lower him from the per first position that he held in all of time, and that is Creator God. And some of you might be thinking, wait a second, I thought God the Father was the Creator. I thought He's the one who created everything. Well, the correct answer is that all three members of our triune God, the Trinity, were involved in creation. The Father spoke, the Spirit hovered, and the Son created. How do we know that Jesus was part of creation? Well, Colossians tells us this. Colossians 1.15, it says that He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. And verse 16 goes on to say, For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in all him all things hold together. And not only did Jesus create you, but if you are his and all the power of the omnipotent God is available to you just as it was to him when he was on this earth, it's available to strengthen you, to empower you, to fight for you, and to bring you safely into God's kingdom. And that's good news. That's called the gospel. That's the gospel of the kingdom. And there are a few other consequences of Jesus being our creator. Since he is co-equal and co-creator with the Father, he has the right to determine several things about you and me. First and foremost is how we live and what our function or in this world is to be. If you leave, live here in Whitehall, you know that we have railroad track that runs right through the center of town. And if you live here and you're up early, often like I am, you know that around 4 or 5 a.m., 
a train comes through town. Phillipsons, I think you live closest to it. So you know about 4 or 4.30, 5 o'clock, there's always a train, comes through town, blows the whistle. Yeah, I mean, they, they're always coming through town. Now, how many times, I just have a question for everybody who lives here in Whitehall or anybody who drives through here on a regular basis. How many times have you seen a train run right down Dewey Street out here? Has anybody seen a train go down Dewey? How about Sheila right here, the other street going this way? Well, why not? Because trains are designed to run on tracks and not roads, aren't they? Much of the pain and misery in our lives happens because we or others in our lives try to walk a road that humanity was not designed to walk on. Now pretend for a moment that you're one of these trains. What if one day you decide that you're sick of running on this track? This is just such a rigid way for me to live and to be told where to go and exactly where to go and where to turn and everything else. I'm just sick of these rigid tracks in my life. I want to experience grass under my wheels. I want to see what it's like to run on the pavement instead of having to stick on this narrow, rigid track. So I'm going to jump the tracks. I'm going to jump the tracks and I'm going to go on the road. Now, what would happen if a train actually did that? It'll keep going for a little while. Yeah, yeah you see, you, we see it on TV what happens. It's going to keep going for a little while, but eventually it's going to tip over. It's going to derail. The cars will separate. The engine will explode. All the cargo will be spilled. Mass chaos and possible loss of life will happen if a train decides to jump its tracks. But the same thing happens when you and I or anyone jumps off the tracks that God uses to direct our lives. We might keep going for a little bit. We might have that inertia that will keep us going for a, a little time. We might get to feel that grass under our feet. We might get to, to feel the pavement under our steps. We might revel in the freedom of being away from the track for a little while. But sooner or later, I guarantee you that crash is going to come. And it comes because we didn't respect the Creator and we left the designed way that He made us. And that's why it's dangerous to reduce Jesus in our minds from Creator God to just a buddy. He is God. He's God. He's Creator. And He's your only hope for salvation. But you need to be willing to walk the path that he has put before you, and trust him that it's the right one for you. A final thing I want to bring to you today before, or from these verses in John is that Jesus is our light. As I was preparing this message, I came upon a tweet from a well-known Christian leader that said that spiritual darkness is a very real thing. Our world gets darker and darker by the minute as sin increases. And I, I stopped and thought about that for a moment. And something didn't quite seem right about it in my head. And then I reread these verses that we were going through in John today. And a correct way of thinking came back, and I tweeted back to him, actually. I said, the only reason that darkness can increase is if life decreases. Darkness is a condition that is only the absence of light. In other words, I can't bring in a bag of darkness, set it loose in the room, and make it any darker. The only thing I can do is walk in the back and turn down the light. 
Light is simply, or darkness is simply just the absence of light. And that is a very important point. Because we often give darkness, we often give evil, we often give sin way too much credit and way too much power over our lives. When it's just a really a negative to a positive condition. Another way to look at this is right now in the Cooley region, the temperature is hovering a little bit below zero. When I came to church this morning, it was eight below zero. However, we're not really experiencing an increase in cold. Scientifically, we are experiencing an absence of heat. And bringing us back to the biblical truth, sin has really no true power over us. Sin, sin is an indication or a symptom of a lack of Jesus in your life. And not necessarily this force that you have to struggle against. It's not that you have to like put up your dukes and beat sin. It's not like you have to rail against the devil and bind demons and, and do all these things us Pentecostals love to do. The answer for sin is to add Jesus. It isn't to fight against it. It isn't to shove it outside as much. It's to invite Jesus in. The Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for pulling down strongholds. What is the weapon that is being referred to here? Faith. It's faith. It's faith that everything we're reading this and, and talking about this morning is true. It's faith that the, the light that Jesus brings into our soul is the light that drives away the darkness that is in our spirits. It's faith that Jesus will bring healing to our souls. It's faith that Jesus can give us everything we need. And that the darkness in our, our flesh wants is like a desert sand, trying to drink desert sand to quench thirst instead of taking on into us the living waters that Jesus brings. John says in one of his epistles, he said, in him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of men. And this is on record that God hath given uh, to us eternal life and this life is in the Son. When we continually struggle against the darkness in our life, against the, the action and the habits that the, the Bible correctly calls sin, it's not so much the devil we're struggling against. We give, we give him way too much credit. Even Isaiah says that, that someday when we get to, to see the devil for who he is, we're going to look at him and say, Him? That... that that insignificant little thing right there is what I thought I was struggling with my whole life? No. It's, it, we're really struggling against ourselves and our stubborn refusal to allow the light of Jesus into all parts of our life. That's what we're struggling against. It's not fighting against the devil. It's surrendering to Jesus. And that has everything to do with decisions we make in our lives. Let's all rise. As we go through John's gospel in the next several months, it's my prayer for all of us here and for all of us listening, believe it or not, there are people listening worldwide to our podcast. It's my prayer that Jesus is made manifest 
in all areas of our life. That we allow His light to drive away darkness. And that's only going to come as we surrender to Him. Amen? Father God, I thank You, Lord, for this Gospel of John. By far my favorite book in the Bible. And I ask, Father, that as we go through your best friend's account of your life, that it will change our lives, Father. That it renew our thinking into a way that reflects the way you want us to think. That it will change the way we live into a way that you want us to live. That it will just totally change every part of us, Father. So that we live the life you want us to live and the way you want us to live it in this time that you have called us to live, Father. 